So we've been going through Philippians verse by verse. We come now to chapter 2, verses 19 through 24. It talks about Timothy. So let me, let me pray. Let me, let me read the Word and then I'll pray. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of His proven worth that He served with me in the furtherance of the Gospel like a child serving His Father. Therefore, I hope to send Him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. So let's pray. Lord, this simple text is full of riches for us today. And I pray, Lord, that You might, might help me now even to open this passage up for us. That we might really learn from You. Um, God, that You would be our teacher. I pray that You'd grant us a... Um, a heart of Paul that would willingly sacrifice his own comfort. God, I pray that you would um, comfort for others, that is. I pray that you would give us a heart of Timothy who didn't seek after his own interests, but for those of Christ Jesus and those for others. And so be with us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in life, there are things which appear really simple when you maybe look at them at the, at, at the first glance, but then when you dig into them a little bit, they get more and more complex. After you dig for a bit, you, you discern that there's more and more to it than you ever thought possible. Like, for instance, I think about the game of chess. That it, uh, on the one hand, is a pretty, pretty simple game. Um, you can learn how to play in about five to ten minutes. You learn all the pieces, learn all the rules. and At first glance, it just seems like a fun board game. Um, but as you dig a little bit, you quickly realize just how, how deep the game is. Uh, you discover that there are chess aficionados all over the world. There are, are countries like Russia who cheer their, their chess heroes as much as we might cheer our athletic heroes. There are tournaments around the world. People make their living at the game of chess, by playing chess, by writing books about chess, by teaching children about chess, by hosting, commenting upon tournaments. There are, there are databases of hundreds of thousands of great games that have been played by the upper level players. Um, thousands and thousands of books written on the subject. Computers have sought to analyze this game over and over again and trying to figure it out. It hasn't been figured out. It's only in recent years that computers have been able to beat people. Though the top level still, computers will fall to the top level players. It's a game of perfect balance and simplicity. I mean, it's, a, it's an 8 by 8 square. If it were like 30 by 30, it would be like so over us we couldn't possibly comprehend it. If it's four by four, we might grasp it, but it's, it's eight by eight, and so there's some complexity there, but it's just a little bit beyond us. When you start digging into the theory, you start figuring out that there are, there are openings, the, the opening theory, and then the middle game, and then the end game, and there, there are names for openings, like 
the Queen's Gambit or the King's Indian or the Sicilian or the Roy Lupas or the Petrov or the Slav or the Grunfeld or the Dragon. And in the middle game, you need to really start evaluating what your pieces are really worth. You need to look at forks and pins and peace values and things about it, like sacrifices, or even there's something called an exchange sacrifice. You need to pay, pay attention to your double pawns or your isolated pawns or your weak pawns, your A pawns or H pawns, or pawn majorities on which side, king side or queen side. The end games, there are, are things to memorize, there are, are, are skills to, to get, whether you have a king and pawn ending, or a bishop pawn, knight pawn ending. A bishop versus knight, a rook and pawn ending, or queen and pawns ending. And at the beginning, what's great about chess is that at the beginning, it's, it's all about memorization. If you can memorize all these openings, you put yourself in a good position. And then if you think logically, you're really good in the middle game. And then if you can apply these logical skills and the theory, you can be good in the end game. Now, I just mentioned chess because I know a little bit about chess. I'm not a great player. I'm, I'm an average player, but I like to play chess. Um, but I'm just saying that there's a game of chess and all of a sudden there's, this, there's a whole world out there. And I'm just touching on the surface. And there are many things like that. I think about um, pool. I could tell you about the game of pool a little bit. Since we got a pool table a couple years ago, I would like to play that. I could tell you all the intricacies, well, some of the intricacies of that. But I think about something like bird watching. I mean, how, how boring and dull can that be? I mean, I've seen birds... But there are whole groups of people who watch birds. There are people who travel to watch birds. They have books about watching birds. They, they log what they've watched. They have clubs, societies, and meetings. There's stamp collecting. I mean, it looks like stamps. When you get into it, there's, there's different families of stamps, right? There's, there's different nations of stamps. There's different values of stamps. And I'm sure it gets much more complex about that. Or even kite flying. I remember one time a couple years ago, we were in Berkeley, out in California and they're flying these kites and we got to talk to somebody and it's pretty deep. They have clubs of kite flyers and they go and they travel around and I would contend this. There are many things in life. You just look on the surface. looks kind of really simple but when you dig it gets more and more complex and more and more interesting as you go and if we look at our text this morning that's exactly where we are. <clears throat> you look at it on, the, on the, the surface it looks real simple and straightforward. Paul is just communicating with those in Philippi it was planned to send Timothy to them. Things need to be worked out, but once they're worked out, Timothy's going to come your way. It's the title of my message this morning, Sending Timothy. Just what this text is really about. But as you dig, you discover there's more things going on. You, you see, there's a reason why Paul is planning to send Timothy to Philippi. He's concerned about them. He wants them to grow in Christ. And he knows that Timothy will help them. And Timothy is willing, and so he wants to send Timothy and even verse 24 speaks about himself wanting to go. But, but as you think about it even further, you, you see that there's, there's even more going on in that, that Timothy is actually becomes a, a model for us in, in, in modeling everything that he told the Philippians to do. Paul had commanded us to seek unity and to walk humbly and to sacrifice and, for others and to, to walk without complaining or grumbling. And we see Timothy and Paul doing these very things and thereby becoming an example and a model for us. All that in just these verses that talk about sending Timothy. So my, my plan of attack this morning is I want to just run through this text three times. And first time, just look at things uh, on, on the high level. Look at the logistics of what's, what's going on. The historical circumstance of Paul's plan uh, of, of sending Timothy, right? Who's Timothy? Why send him? And why the delay? Second time through, I want to look at really Paul's heart and Timothy's heart in the matter I mean, after all, that's the driving force of why Paul would want to send 
Timothy to Philippi. And, and the text gives us some clues about how Paul wants to be encouraged and how, how Timothy is others-minded and will set his mind on the welfare of those in Philippi. And then the third time, I want to think about this example that Paul and Timothy has held before us. Particularly, I want to see how they modeled the things in Philippians and bring that onto our text because that's where uh, we see and get some encouragement for us. Because Paul's instructions aren't so high and unreachable, we can't attain them. All you got to do is say, well, I'm living that way. Timothy's living that way. How about you live that way? So all that's going on in this text. And by the way, this is like much Bible study. You can, you can deal with Bible on the surface. The, the Bible's an easy book to understand. Even for little kids can understand it. But as you get deeper and deeper and deeper, some of its truths baffle even the brightest minds have ever walked the planet. But this morning, I, I just thought it was particularly simple text today, and so I want to just do this. So first time through, first time through, I'm just calling it the plan. The plan to send Timothy. Paul wanted to send Timothy to Philippi. And as I'm sure that you're well aware, we don't, didn't have telephones in those days. Didn't, I know it's hard for some of you kids to believe, okay? But they didn't have email in those days. I used to ask your parents what life was before email. Didn't have texting in those days. You couldn't FaceTime with your friends. If you want to check up on somebody, you either sent a letter or you sent somebody who would report back to you. That'd be like better. That's like really slow FaceTime. Okay? Or you could, um, you could go and visit yourself. That's exactly what Paul was seeking to do. He's going he's gonna to send someone to go and help those in Philippi. And let's, let's just not miss this. Okay? I think even right here is a, is a great point to make. Um, texts and emails, phone calls and letters are all well and good, but there are times when a personal visit is what's needed. I mean, there, as a pastor, there are some things I'll do over emails, but there are some things that I won't do over email because you can miss so much and miscommunicate that I, I'll pick up a phone and I'll call someone. And there are other things that I won't ever do on the phone, but I will only do in person. And so likewise, this is what, what Paul is doing. And, and remember that there is some things helpful to face-to-face communication, even in our day of age. In fact, I, I was just thinking about this. I remember this commercial from, actually it was 25, 24 years ago. It came out in 1990. Um, I remember as a child, let's see, 1990, how old I was just in college at that time. Um, and and, and this, this uh, commercial began with a tense business meeting. And the boss is there kind of pacing up and down and there's a, a tense, tenseness there. And, and here I, I took, I found the commercial on YouTube so I just transcribed it. The boss says this, I got a phone call this morning from one of our oldest customers. He fired us. After 20 years, he fired us. He said he didn't know us anymore. And I think I know why. He said, we used to do business with a handshake face-to-face and now it's a phone call and a fax. So I'll get back to you later and that's probably by another fax. Well, folks, something's got to change. That's why we're going to set out for a little face-to-face chat with every customer we have. And uh, one of the salesmen interrupted and said, but boss, that's over 200 cities. His reply was, I don't care. And right at that point, the secretary comes out with all of these, these folders full of airline Tickets that he handed out all these these tickets to all his sales force says we're going to go and see them all face to face. The announcer says, right, if you're the kind of business that still believes in personal service, deserves a lot more than lip service, welcome to United. 
That's the way we've been doing business for over 60 years. So now it's like 60, 85 years, right? And the commercial closes one of the sales force asking the boss, Ben, where are you going? His quick response was to visit an old friend who fired us this morning. And that, that, that commercial really captures the essence of how important sometimes face-to-face communication is. What they did in the old days, in the Bible times, right? Kids, when your parents were alive, right? When they were children. It's the same thing that Paul is doing here. It's still affected. It's still needed. And Paul thought that Timothy and those in Philippi need some face-to-face time together. Now, now, the circumstances there weren't, uh, weren't stress-filled. They weren't tension-filled. Nobody fired Timothy and Paul. And on the other hand, it's, it's very encouraging. Paul isn't sending Timothy with a, a rebuke. It's not like the commercial I described. We see in verse 19 the, the perspective. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Paul simply wants to know how things are going in Philippi. He's received good news from Epaphroditus. You can see there beginning of verse 25 through the end of the chapter. We'll look at this next week. Epaphroditus um, was one of the Philippian numbers. He came and uh, brought um, a financial gift to Paul. And so he found out some things about how Paul was doing, about how Philippi was doing as they found out about him. And it was encouraging things. He knows enough to know that there is an issue in Philippi with unity and humility. He knows enough to mention a few women by name. Probably Epaphroditus mentioned. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. I urge you, Odia. And I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. So there is this problem about unity. But most of all, it's, a, it's really an encouraging um, report of what took place in Philippi. And Paul just wanted to be even greater encouraged. Now, the reason why Paul didn't go himself is because, you remember, he's in prison. He's in house arrest, which has some freedom. But, right, I mean, he can host guests' house. He can... Be in the presence of his friends, but there's always a Roman soldier right there and he can't get out of his house. So all the time, he wasn't able to visit Philippi, but he could send Timothy. And in fact, Timothy was with him. Chapter 1, verse 1. Look at this. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus. Timothy is sitting right there with him. Paul is writing this letter. It's kind of come from both of them, but really it's coming from Paul, as we can see even here in our text. I hope in the Lord Jesus. Not Timothy and I hope. It's Paul is the one in charge, but Timothy is right there with him. Now, Timothy was well known to those in Philippi as he was there when the church began. If you remember even what Darren read for us today, um, when Paul came into Philippi, it was the second missionary journey. And, and early in that journey, they came to Lystra, where Timothy was from Lystra. And um, we, we know a little bit about Timothy's family. His father was a Greek, probably an unbeliever. His mother's name was Lois and his grandmother's name was Eunice. Both of those were believing Jews and they were godly women who taught Timothy the Scriptures and somehow he came to faith in Christ. Um, he believed the Old Testament, but it was probably on the first missionary journey when Paul and Barnabas came up to Lystra and Derby, preached the Gospel to them. They probably heard at that time and then Paul went away, dealt with some matters. Like we've been reading through the book of Acts in Sunday mornings at church. We dealt with the Jerusalem Council. And then he's coming back several years later and Timothy is a believer. He's a mature believer thought well of by the whole um, folks who were at Lystra and Iconium. His reputation was, was stellar. He had an integrity that Paul discerned and, he, and Paul said at the beginning of Acts 16, I want Timothy to come along with me. Certainly some arrangements had to be made. Timothy had to say goodbye to his mother and grandmother and just off they went. They said, Paul, where are you going? He says, I don't know. I just know we're heading west. 
And as you work through Acts 16, you know, they, they were heading west. They tried to go into Asia and the, the Spirit of Jesus said no. And they tried to go to Bithynia and the Holy Spirit said no. And then, then they got this Macedonian call. Macedonia is right where Philippi is. So they went to Philippi. And, and the whole time, Timothy is right there with him. And Timothy saw everything that took place. Everything Darren read about here this morning. About how they went initially to this place of prayer. And Timothy was there. And Timothy certainly heard when Paul preached the word to Lydia and the Lord opened her heart to believe the things spoken by him. And Timothy surely witnessed the casting out of the demon from this slave girl and was probably in the Philippian jailer's home with Paul and Silas after the jailer was converted. Timothy was known by those in Philippi and if Paul wanted to send anybody, he was the one. One who was there at the very beginning. He was with Paul, ready to go, he knew all about Philippi. Let's go. Well, furthermore, we see Paul describing Timothy in verse 20. I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Paul knows the character of Timothy. He would genuinely care for those in Philippi. And the language of verse 20 is, is strong enough, you might say this, to send Timothy is to send me. Because, he says, that we are of a kindred spirit. I think Anne of Green Gables used to talk about Kindred spirit. Is that Anna Green Gables talking about kindred spirit? Okay. Um, Paul talks about it here, just like a, a bosom buddy, you might say. The, uh, the Greek literally here is isopsukon. Iso, meaning like um, same or equal, like isosceles triangle, right? Two sides of the triangle are the same length. It's isosceles, equal. Psukon from psuche, psychology, sold. We are like sold. We are like minded. We have. Same passions. To send Timothy is to send me. They weren't getting a second-rate uh, visitor. In fact, on another occasion when Paul sent Timothy to those in Corinth, listen to what Paul said. He says, I have sent to you Timothy, 1 Corinthians 4.17, I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere and in every church. See, because Timothy was around Paul enough to know Paul's ways and know Paul's teaching. And as Paul sent Timothy to Corinth, Timothy would be just a reminder. He's not going to bring anything new. He's just going to bring up everything that Paul taught. He would be an ambassador for Paul, a great representative of the Apostle Paul. And that's really the crux of verse 22. It says, But you know of his proven worth, how he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Just a, a child learns the ways from his dad. And so likewise, Timothy had learned the way from Paul. He was a faithful man, a servant of God, a servant of Paul. They were kindred spirits. So why not send him right away? Verse 23. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. So there's some things going on in Paul's life that's prohibiting him from sending Timothy. Now, we don't know exactly what it is, but surely it has to do with the fact that he is in prison and he can't leave. And somehow he's dependent upon Timothy and his outcome for life is, is very much dependent upon him because in those days, imprisonment's different than our day. In our days, if you're in prison, you really don't have a care in the world. You go into prison and you're provided with everything. Food, clothing, shelter, heat, nice accommodations, television, right? lots of things that they will give you. You get your cigarettes, you get your book, anything you need. They will give you. Now, it's not that 
Um, it's the nicest accommodations. I don't recommend it to any of you young men, okay, or young girls wanting to say, hey, I want a carefree life going to prison. That's not, you're not going to find it very carefree. However, there are, there is a bit of, of carefree. You don't have to worry about anything for physical needs. Now, they do have cares and concerns because the whole reason they're in jail, they have cares and concerns, but they don't have anything to worry about physically. But in Paul's days, it's not the case. If you got prison in Paul's days, you better have a friend on the outside or you're in trouble. Because if you don't have someone on the outside who can bring you food and can bring you clothing when yours either runs out or you don't have enough or, or can bring you maybe an extra pad for your pillow or, or can bring you a book to read or can bring you... You've you got to have this liaison who can go out and, and do some things. Now, Paul is under house arrest. Timothy could go out and say, hey, Paul wants to talk to you. He could be a messenger and bring people in and Paul could talk to them. But he needed Timothy. He needed this someone. In fact, at the end of 2 Timothy, when Paul was in prison... He urged Timothy to come and help him. Listen to the urgency at the end of 2 Timothy. He said, Make every effort to come to me soon. He said, When you come, bring the cloak which I left in Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the parchments. He's cold. He needs a coat. He needs some more things to read as he's working on the Scriptures. He's sending out letters, perhaps. Well, let's go to Paul's situation again, writing this letter. I think that Timothy is probably his primary caretaker. Without Timothy, Paul would be in trouble. Timothy's serving him and helping him in his, his every need. But circumstance, he says, might, might change. Someone else might come who can replace Timothy. Uh, if you find someone dependable and utterly committed, those people don't come around very often. Maybe some will show up to, to help Paul, thereby freeing up Timothy. Or maybe he'd be released from prison. Uh, and maybe he's got some paperwork done, but maybe he's got some freedom there. He can't leave Rome yet for another month because he's got to really resolve things. But maybe Timmy can go because I'm okay. And that's the, the thrust here. I, I hope to send him verse 33, 23. Immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me, as soon as something gets resolved, then I'll send him. And in fact, even there's this hope that, that I trust in the Lord, verse 24, that I myself also will be coming shortly. There's court decisions up in the air. He had still had confidence that he would be released. We saw that in chapter 1 about his confidence. He said, chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And then he wrestles, right? If I'm to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose. He says, right, 24, 23, I'm hard pressed from both directions. Having this desire to depart and be with Christ is very much better, yet to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sake, right? I want to die and be with Jesus because that's good for me, but... I want to live and be with you because that's good for you. And I, I don't even know. But then he says in verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. He, he's going to live and hopefully he's even going to go and visit them according to chapter 2, verse 24. Well, that's the plan. All right? Just a big overview of the plan. As soon as things are set, Timothy's going to go and find out how the Philippians are doing. Let's go to my second point. Let's look at the heart. Look at the heart behind some of these things. I want to go through this text again and, and see what, what's behind the plan, right, Paul? Why put yourself at risk? Why send away your, your most faithful and loyal companion? Well, verse 9 answers that question. He says this, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. Here it is, the phrase we'll look on. So that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Paul's looking for encouragement fundamentally. He believes that when he hears about how things are going in Philippi, he'll be encouraged. Now, 
He's already, he's already received this report from Epaphroditus. Chapter 1 is, is filled with his encouragement, right? We see that chapter 1, verse 3. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, right? Whenever he remembers the Philippi, the church in Philippi, he's thanking God. He's always offering prayer with joy. It is every prayer for you all, is what he's saying. I, I, I'm thankful. I'm joyful at what I hear from you. I'm offering up these prayers. He says, and then his affection, verse, verse 7. Right down there, he says, um, I have you in my heart, is what he says. You Philippians are like in my heart. You're near and dear to me. I have an affection for you. So verse 8, for God is my witness. How I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. You just see the encouragement there. His longing to be with them. And then when you get to chapter 4, you see it in verse 1. Look at his language there. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren whom I long to see, my joy and crown. In this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. He, Paul longs to be with them. He is his joy. He is his crown. And so he knows that when Philo, Timothy comes back, he'll be encouraged. And in fact, if you recall, Philippians is a thank you note. Paul had received this gift from Epaphroditus in, in prison. Epaphroditus, one of the members of the church in Philippi, probably converted uh, there. He came with a financial gift to help Paul in his circumstances. Chapter 4, verse 18. And, and, and Paul's attitude towards them is just is joyful. Look at chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Right? You were concerned for me before, but your poverty was too great. You didn't have an opportunity to give. But verse 17 then describes Paul's genuine motive. He says, not that I seek this gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases your account. They've sent this gift. He's thankful for the gift, okay? But he says, I'm even more thankful that, that you're tra- laying up your treasures in heaven. And I am joyful at you. And I just want to hear Timothy's report about the more and more and more encouragement that there is there. So Paul, in some ways, is, is selfish, Sending Timothy because he wants encouragement in return. He wants to hear about the wonderful things the Lord's taken place. And so he's willing to part with Timothy and willing to see how things are, the encouragement. And, and I think here's even another great point for application. When you hear of God's Word work taking place in someone's life or church, whether it's here in Rockford, or maybe you have a church, another church you know, or, or maybe someone across the country, or, or maybe overseas. When you hear of God's work taking place, do you, do you rejoice? Is it an encouragement to you? Is your soul thrilled to hear of God's work taking place somewhere else? Is there something in you that, wants, that you want to, to hear more? Well, every month at the Brandon Home, we, we receive a handful of missionary letters. I'm sure many of you do as well. Um, and I, I just like list, I just like taking these and and reading them. And um, you know, this is from my friend Tim Sattler. He's part of uh, Leadership Resources, doing TNT training the national trainers. I've gone over to Nepal and India on many occasions, and uh, just helping train the pastors there, who will then go out and train um, the pastors in their sphere of influence. And just here's here's what he wrote. Um, this was his newsletter for December 2013. And I just I read this and I was I was encouraged. He said this. He says one of the greatest blessings of my ministry is meeting godly men whose greatest desire is to lead and care for Christ's church. 
They are not in it for money, power, fame, or following. They simply want to see the Gospel's transforming power at work in the hearts and lives of people where they live. I met Robert this past August in Ashura, a small city in Tanzania near Mount Kilimanjaro. He's a quiet man with a warm smile and an even warmer heart. He pastors a church in a remote village high in the hills above the city where they grow bananas and coffee and asked if I'd be willing to preach there on Sunday. So we set out early in the main road towards Kilimanjaro, but soon it turned off into a side street that eventually became nothing but a trail through the jungle. I like a small church, Robert said as we drove up the hillside. Many men want a big church, but God made me for a small church where it's like family. How many of you are there in the church, I asked. We have 35 members, he said with a smile. When I arrived a few years ago, there were only seven, but we've added 28 who have all come to Christ. And most of the children of the village attend. My time of worship uh, with the believers on that mountain was wonderful. I wish you could have heard their voices sing to the beat of a single drum band. I wish you could have seen the joyful expressions on their faces as they listened to God's Word. I wish you could have heard the testimonies how Christ is at work in their lives. And I wish you could have watched Robert with the children. He greeted them one by one as they arrived, stood with them to sing during fellowship time, and sat surrounded by them before they headed home. I give them all the treat, he confessed. I hope you don't think it's bad, but they tell their friends and bring their friends to hear the gospel. At a time when celebrity pastor, the celebrity pastors become common in our land, it's encouraging to know that there are still pastors like Robert who care first for Christ's sheep. And these are, you know, consistent, I mean, just consistent testimonies that I get, that I read. Um, and they're always an encouragement to me as I, as I hear and read of, of different people and their, their stories. And, and, you know, there's nothing particularly special about this letter. I just kind of just grabbed one that I have and I, I, I picked it up. In fact, um, you know, I, we could have just picked up some other letters that I have and that I like to to just sit and read, um, just to be encouraged by what, what God is doing. And, and the amazing thing about this is there's, there's nothing special about this guy. He's the pastor of a small church. Right? I think I'm a pastor of a small church. He's got kids from the neighborhood. There are kids from the neighborhood right out in the foyer right now, just kind of walked here. You know, when you go back there, you can kind of see them. I don't know if they can hear me or not, but they come to Kids Club and and I do give them candy sometimes, right? Just to keep them, because here it's where they can hear the gospel. But, but nothing happened. Just normal, normal things that's taken place. And I say I love reading these letters. How about you? Do you have Paul's heart of encouragement? Just to, to hear of what God's doing. Whether it's, you know, it's not like thousands of people are being converted in these letters. So I get. In fact, I've got some letters here from. Uh, some of our friends, the Coil Chronicle, they are in Ireland. And uh, they're, they're so encouraging to me because it's such a fruitless ministry and they're working so hard. It's like they are trying to, to farm in the Palm Desert. and Just working and laboring and laboring and laboring. And I don't know, they've been there maybe 15 years. And I think their church size is maybe about 20, 25. They just recently... Have purchased a building that they can have. He does a lot of evangelism. He goes door to door twice a week, 
And uh, he's from Ireland, and so just bringing the gospel back. And so I, I don't see a lot of fruit from his ministry, but he's always encouraging because he's so faithful, and God's work is working. And I just think about the few that have come to Christ under his preaching, that apart from him being there, they wouldn't come at all. And I, I love reading these stories. Do you? Do you get these letters? Maybe you don't. Uh, maybe, maybe these letters don't come to your place. If not, I'd encourage you to start supporting some missionaries. If you start supporting some missionaries, they'll start sending you their letters. All right? So you can, you can do that. Start investing your treasure in heaven where moth and rust will not destroy, where thieves won't break in and steal. And, and when you invest your treasure that way, it, the, the Bible says, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Right? In other words, it's where you give your money is where your heart will follow. You say, I want a heart for missions. Then give to missions and your heart will follow after that. And you'll start getting letters. Maybe you get emails. Even um, Darren even responded and brought an email up. Uh, Bob Clinton just emailed about just Joel in Silligary. He had his car stolen, had his uh, motorcycle stolen and just the hardships that he, he has there. Right, uh, uh, Rob Provost that we've supported here. You, you, can get, you can get lots of these things and I just encourage you to read them Understand what's happening and rejoice and find your encouragement there. Because that's what Paul was doing. That's why he sent Timothy to Philippi. Look again, chapter 2, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus and Timothy you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. So what's he going to be so encouraged about? He's going to be encouraged that the Gospel's taking root and that the Gospel is working and having its effect. And so essentially, right, he's going to be rejoicing in the gospel, right? That's where his encouragement is going to come from. Those in Philippi, as they, chapter 1, verse 27, conducted themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, right? As they were standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, the gospel working in them for a unified church, they would be utterly, Paul would be greatly encouraged, he would rejoice, but it wasn't merely Paul's encouragement that just sent him to Timothy. It's also his love, sent him to Philippi. It's also his love for the Philippians. And, and you can see that even in verse 20. He says, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Genuinely. That is deep from the heart. That's Timothy's concern for those in Philippi. He knew that in sending Philippi, it would be to sending Timothy, it would be good for those in Philippi. And those in Philippi knew that he would, would bring help. I mean, look at verse 22. You know of his proven worth, how he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. Timothy had proven worth in Philippi, and it wasn't only Paul that knew the help that Timothy would bring. Those in Philippi knew how valuable he'd be, because he was a he was a child serving his father Paul. Spiritual father Paul. Paul's the one that led him to faith. He calls him my true child in 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy. He said, well, what kind of help would they get? Well, you get help with pastoral care. right? That presence that would teach those in Philippi. That would counsel those in Philippi. That would guide them and, and serve them and encourage them and comfort them and continue to remind them of the glories of the Gospel. See, Timothy had seen Paul's work up close and personal and he was able, capable of imitating Paul's ministry in the lives of others. Think about this. Right after Paul left Philippi, he went to Thessalonica. Timothy was right there with him. After they went to Thessalonica, then um, they went to Berea, and uh, 
Silas and Timothy kind of stayed on. Then Paul went ahead to Athens and went to Corinth. And they're still ministering here. And then they came back. And in chapter 3, verse 5 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul said, Timothy and Silas have just come back. I've just heard the report about you, Thessalonians. And so here's what he describes about Thessalonians. And Timothy saw this. He said this, But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children having so fond affection for you that we were well pleased to impart to you not only the Gospel of God, but also our own lives because you become very dear to us. For you would call, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you. We proclaim to you the Gospel of God. You are witnesses and so is God how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers just as you also know how we are exhorting and encouraging imploring each one of you as a father would his own children so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. And Timothy witnessed that. And he saw that. And he could imitate that as well. It's what, it's what a pastor does. A, a pastor endears himself to people like a mother tenderly carrying a child. And a pastor will seek to admonish and lead just like a father will his own children. As Paul saw Timothy doing that, Timothy saw Paul doing that, he was ready and willing to go. In fact, Paul was willing to give up Timothy. Verse 23 again, Therefore I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. I'm hoping, I'm wanting. There you see the desire, you see his heart. I want to send him. But I have to take care of things here first and then I'll send him. And then he says also, I trust the Lord, I myself also will be coming shortly. I want to go. I want to be with you all. Okay, so there's his heart. We've seen his plan. We've seen his heart. Now let's, let's look thirdly at the, the example of Timothy and Paul. So last time through these six verses, I just want to point how, how their lives are just consistent with everything that Paul has taught us. Paul was no hypocrite. He practiced what he preached. And Timothy was a model example of Paul's teaching. And, and particularly, I'm thinking about his teaching about humility. Look at chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, which is really the, the heart of which everything expands. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. As we've seen these past few months, it's humility that's the key to unity. Right? Because when, when people are humble, there will be unity. You show me a congregation of humble people, and I will show you a unified congregation. Because people aren't in it for themselves, they're in it for everybody else. And if you're in it for everybody else, you're not going to push your own agenda. Rather, you're going to say, I want the body to prosper and the body will prosper in unity. And a few weeks ago, we looked at this matter of grumbling and complaining. Right? Verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. I do believe that humility is at the heart of that. Because when you're humble, it's not like you think you deserve anything. Because When do you complain? You only complain when you feel like you deserve something. You have some right to something. Right? It's really an arrogant heart oftentimes that complains. But when you're humble, you're not looking to your own good, your own rights, your own privileges, and you won't be upset. So you won't share that with others. It's humility that is the key to all this of the last chapter. In fact, what is humility? Well, verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. It, it means to regard one another as more important than yourself. That's what humility is. Humility says, I'm not going to look at myself, I'm going to look at you. You say, what's humility look like? Chapter 2, verse 4 says it means not looking out for your own personal interests. It says, I'm not making my agenda pass away. Chapter 2, verse 4 continues, I'm looking out for the interests of others. You say, what does humility look like? Well, it looks like Jesus. 
Verse 5, have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus. No more highly exalted being than Jesus. No more being who ever felt injustice as bad as Jesus did. And yet, he never grumbled or complained. He willingly submitted himself to God the Father to die on the cross for our sins of grumbling and complaining. That's what humility is. It's the attitude of mind focused on others, not on your... Because Jesus came. He didn't come for himself. He came for us. God demonstrates His own love for us in that while He sent His Son to die for us. And we see humility working itself out practically every verse in some way. Look at verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. As I've mentioned before, Paul isn't looking to his own interests here. The best interest of Paul would be to keep Timothy tight and close. He was his lifeline. But, but Paul was... Was, was willing to, to, to forsake his own needs, to give him up, to meet those in Philippi. I think that's the essence of humility. It was his humble attitude that fostered this spirit in Paul. And now look at Timothy, verse 20. I have no one else of kindred spirit who would genuinely be concerned for your welfare. In other words, as Timothy would go to those in Philippi, he wouldn't be self-seeking. He wouldn't seek his own good. He wouldn't prop himself up. He wouldn't seek his, his own ministry. Right? Instead, he would be genuinely concerned for your welfare. As he comes, he'd be concerned for them. Timothy's heart is unique, by the way. I've kind of skipped verse 20 both times through, but now we can deal with it. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who would genuinely be concerned for your welfare. You've got to feel that. I have no one else of kindred spirit who would genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Placed on the children's notes, I think this is a big body slam to everyone else in Philippi. And it is. That Timothy is like the only guy who I know is, is not going to be about Timothy, is not going to be about himself, but he's going to be about you. I have no one else of kindred spirit. I have nobody else of, of uh, humble spirit. Instead, verse 21, they all, in fact, 21 is the verse I've skipped, they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Kind of shocking to me if you think about a surprise in the text, right? In our small groups, we're going over these questions. The, the question I like the most is, um, what's the biggest surprise? And this is the biggest surprise here, that there's, there's not a soul around Paul who's setting his mind on the interests of Christ. But everyone else is seeking their own interest. Maybe they're seeking their own comfort. Maybe they're seeking their own safety. We even see later in Epaphroditus, he, he risked his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Chapter 30. I traveling is a, is a difficult thing. And so Epaphras, Epaphroditus was risking his life. Maybe they were in, in it for that. But everybody's in it for their own good. And I find it shocking. Even the book of Romans. Right? Paul here is in Rome. He talks at the end of Philippians about those of Caesar's household. Every saint greets you. Verse 22. Especially those of Caesar's household. You get this picture that there are lots of Christians. There's lots of saints. Even Caesar's household, there's some. And yet, none of them are externally focused. I say, what about you? If I was sitting in some prison in Rockford wanting to, whatever, send somebody to DeKalb, could it be said of you that I have no one else of kindred spirit who would genuinely be concerned for your welfare, whatever, in DeKalb or Chicago or 
New York or wherever you're going. Now, I see a bunch of you. I say a lot. I think a lot of you are there, but maybe it's because I don't, I don't pierce as Paul did deep into our hearts. Because if you know, if, if you look deep in your heart, you'll find that you're really about yourself. I'm really about myself. I'm like, is this even possible? But it is possible somehow in Paul and Timothy. It's interesting. We, we, we got a picture of some of those people who are into themselves. Chapter 1. Remember Paul said, my imprisonment has become well known. Everyone has more boldness to preach. He says, verse 15, some to be sure are preaching Christ, even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me a stress in my imprisonment. So you got some people even preaching the gospel from, from self-centered motives. But Paul was above it all. He said, verse 18, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. I rejoice in the gospel wherever Christ is preached. Repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. He can rejoice in the gospel being preached, even from selfish motives. That's well and good, but when he came down to his own needs, when he was vulnerable in prison, he needed help. And he needed the one who he could find who would help others in their needs. And all these preaching from ill motives or preaching for themselves, they'd be of no help for Paul. But Timothy was the man. And I think we ought to find some great encouragement here is that so everything Paul's been talking about, it, it can be found. And it takes a life of utter self-denial. Do you want to live a life like that? Do you want to follow the words of Jesus who contrasted the, the leadership of the the Roman world with the leadership in Christian world. He says, Matthew 20, 25-28, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. And again, brings it back to the example of Jesus. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. That is true humility. Jesus giving His life for our sins. And the path that the Master tread is the path that we ought to tread as well. As well. And that's the example in the heart of Timothy. He was walking after the example of Paul's teaching. And it was obvious. Verse 22, You know of his proven worth, how he served with me in the furtherance of the Gospel like a child serving his father. A child learns a lot from his father. Probably more than you know. Men, may that put fear in your bones. They learn your sins. They learn your, learn your good points as well. But here was Timothy, a grown man, submitting himself, learning from another grown man, just like a child serving his father. That's a picture of his humility. He, he was just saying, Paul, teach me. What is it that I need to do? How can I, how can I go? Right, so, it just even calls you, what, what kind of example are... Are you, you setting? Are you setting the example of Paul who's, who's seeking towards the call? In fact, even Paul says, verse 17 of chapter 3, join in following my example. Just walk in my ways. Because he, he was a humble man. Are, are you one like a child serving a father? A simple childlike spirit. 
But Timothy, what a man, what an example. Paul, what an example as well. Willing to give him up. Verse 23, Therefore I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. I do believe that this is humility all around. Well, there's a plan to send Timothy. There's the heart that just wants to be encouraged, willing to give up. And there's the example that Paul is everything that he has taught. Let's pray. Lord, this is a a simple text. Much truth, though, to teach us here. And I pray, Lord, that You would use my feeble words, God, to help us all to live and walk in humility. Uh, I pray for a church full of Timothys who would genuinely be concerned for other people. Calling them and seeing how they're doing, encouraging them, visiting them, helping them, serving them. I pray, O Lord, for the parents in this body. I pray that husband and wife would model the gospel in their marriage. A husband dying to himself and serving his wife as Christ served and loved the church, which is his body. So, serving his wife as his own flesh, and a, and a wife so joyously desiring her husband that she would submit to him. Lord, the Gospel would be clear in marriages and then be clear with children. I I would pray for parents to have hearts to serve their children in great ways that they might be able to say, my dad was like Timothy. My mom was like Timothy. Just serving and serving and helping and teaching and training. Uh, And I I pray that that would, would come to us as a church that we'd be known, as Jesus said, for our love for one another, our service to one another. God, so be gracious, O oh Lord, we pray. We, we just need your kindness. We need your help. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.